Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 62, Screenwriting Tips from the Experts, an interview with Lee Batchelor and Janet Scott Batchelor, coming to you on Thursday, May 10th, 2018. Now, before we get started with the interview, I just wanted to give you a couple of reminders. If you don't remember or never knew what those letters stand for after the episode numbers, let me just remind you. So you'll notice that some of the episode numbers, like the one from Tuesday, episode 61, has a T afterwards, and that means it's a teaching episode. I'm teaching you some sort of writing tip or trick or uh, some other um, device that you can actually go and use in your writing right now. Hence the name of the podcast, Right Now Workshop. So for instance, on Tuesday, I talked about using weather more effectively in your writing. Now, if it ends with an I, that's an interview, like today. So today is episode 62I. If it ends with an E, it's an encouraging words episode, and those come out every Sunday. The teaching episodes are Tuesdays, the interviews are Thursdays, and the encouraging words come out on Sundays because everybody needs a little bit of encouragement to keep on going with this um, monumental, overwhelming, creative, awesome, most amazing task that we have put to ourselves, which is to get our stories down on paper and share them with other people and hopefully lift up other people along the way. Now, if you notice, the T, the I, the E stand for those things, teaching, interview, and encouraging words, but they also form the word tie. And that's because I really think it's important that as human beings and as writers, we can tie all the pieces of our lives together, both the work that we're personally doing ourselves, so our own writing, plus what we're listening to from other people, what are their experiences, what can we learn from them, and then being encouraged so that we can keep on going, have a brighter outlook on how the whole process is working for us, and to not quit. So I always want to help you to tie all the pieces of your writing life together like that, and I hope that you're finding that it helps you. But also, if you particularly like one or two of those three and don't necessarily want to listen to all of them, or you just want to listen to all the Encouraging Words episodes in a row because you just really need some encouragement, or all the teaching, or all the interviews... That's one way that you can go through and find all the episodes either on the YouTube channel or on your uh, podcast app of choice or on the website. And also another reminder is that the show notes are always on the website, which is podcast.rightnowworkshop.com. And if anybody is talking about uh, something that I can link to, I'll go ahead and link to that in the show notes. And then also, if you're interested in seeing what's available on the YouTube channel, everything that I'm doing, which is the teaching episodes and the encouraging words episodes, I've been continuing to put up on the YouTube channel, even though I mentioned last month that I might pause that so that I can work on uh, creating better audio. But um, you know, I'm still getting a lot of viewers there. I think you guys must like it, so I'll continue putting it up. The interviews are always on the YouTube channel if the interviewee wanted to be on video. They don't always. So for instance, today's episode will only be available on audio. But anytime that you want to check it out, it's YouTube forward slash Kitty Buholtz, and that's K-I-T-T-Y 
B-U-C-H-O-L-T-Z. So that's where you can find all the information, where you can pick and choose what sorts of things that you listen to. And now I'm excited to introduce you to a screenwriting couple that I know, um, good friends of mine, fabulous screenwriters. They've been working for decades. They know what they're talking about. So if you're at all interested in screenwriting, or if you just want to pick up some tips on story, no matter what format or medium that you're using for your storytelling, Jan and Lee are the people to listen to. So here we go with the show. Hello. Today's guests are Lee Batchelor and Janet Scott Batchelor. They are the writers of Pompeii, Smoke and Mirrors, and Batman Forever, among many other projects. They have recently moved into producing with executive producer credits on a movie to be released in 2018. In addition, Janet is a writing professor at the University of Southern California's School of Cinematic Arts. Welcome, Lee and Janet. Welcome to us. Hi, Hi. Hi. I'm so glad you guys agreed to be on the show. I'm so excited, not only because uh, you're friends and fantastic writers and former writer teacher, writing teachers of mine, but also I love the idea of having screenwriters on the show. So thank you. We're happy to be here. Yay. Well, listen, why don't we let people know a little bit more about who you are? I know some of your stories and stuff, but um, why don't you tell people, you know, how many people we met or talked to who say, oh, I want to be a screenwriter. I am a screenwriter. You know, they haven't had anything produced or anything, but it's something that they uh, aspire to. They want to get it into it somehow, or they just kind of think, oh, maybe someday I'll, I'll make my book into a screenplay. So you're actual screenwriters. <laughs> tell us a little little bit about how you got started well I started um, in college um, I always wrote music when I was uh, in my teens and growing up but I wanted to be a, uh, a writer uh, and a playwright and at UCSD they did not have a playwriting program for undergraduates so I took acting directing costume design lighting anything having to do with theater and I did a lot and uh, after I got out of college, I moved to Los Angeles uh, because I, I didn't want to move to New York, which is where a, a playwriting or musical uh, writing career would have to take place. And I met Jan and she said, she was in college, at, uh, she was in grad school. And she said, uh, well, you know, if you'd like to, to write, we're in Los Angeles, film, television, there's other forms, outlets for what you want to do. So we got together and we tried doing that together. Um, but ultimately, uh, I found that everything that I studied in college, um, and I was in, in shows in high school, I, I got into drama then, all of that had paid off into my, into my writing. That, be, that you, if you're writing for actors, learning something about the acting process, the performing process, is, feeds, uh, feeds what you put on the page. And a lot of people go into it just thinking, I'm just going to write, it's, it's words. And no, it's an experience that you're trying to put out into the world that involves other people. So it's a very interactive, a much more interactive art than people think it is. They think just of being in a lonely room, writing, I'm expressing myself. But no, it's about being involved with other people in the process. So, so we decided we would try writing together. We did a little bit of TV. We did a, some kids' videos. And then we, we wanted to write feature films. We decided to write what was then known as a weekend read, which was a script that was 
so compelling that people had to read it that weekend uh, and they would bid on Monday. This was, you know, during the height of the, the spec sale, the spec script sales boom. Um, and we spent about a year and a half finding an idea, uh, working through it. We wrote nine drafts before wow. we sent it out. We didn't really know anybody in the feature world, but we showed it to the handful of people we knew. And one of them said, may I show this to my bosses? And the bosses said, may we help you get an agent? And we teamed up with our agent and then waited for another half a year till he felt the timing was right to send it out. And we actually did have that experience of having a spec sale, spec script go out on a Thursday or Friday to be read over the weekend with bidding starting the following Monday. Uh, and that was a um, very exciting. And it was wrapped up on Friday. It was wrapped up on that Friday, yes. Place. Yes, it was wrapped up on the following Friday. We, we had a sale by that Friday. It was the biggest spec sale of its year. Um, it was a movie that has still not been made. It's been in pre-production and fallen out of pre-production before the cameras could start rolling twice. And, um, but it started our careers. It got our careers started and all of a sudden we were screenwriters uh, with a huge sale and taking meetings all over town and out of nowhere we had a career. It doesn't happen that way anymore. Uh, the spec boom lasted less than 10 years, uh, but you still have to write a script on spec to be able to be noticed nowadays for the most part. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the route to getting into screenwriting is much more difficult now. We were fortunate to sort of be there at the right moment when the doors were open. It's right. like the music industry has, has changed the whole, uh, with, with the inter internet uh, digital distribution. It's a different business. And that's sort of happening with, with uh, movies as well. With Now it's a, a Netflix and Amazon and other outlets besides the studios. The business is changing, the, the models of how you, who you work for and how you get in. Right. Right. Yeah. We, I think that uh, a lot of the people listening on the podcast will understand to some degree um, the publishing industry, you know, has also gone through a lot of changes, especially with the advent of first Kindle Direct publishing and then other ways of self-publishing and then people having to decide which direction am I going to go and, and then traditional publishing just not doing things the way that they, you know, did 10 or 20 years ago. Right. Wow. Absolutely. So have you guys been uh, writing partners then since before you got married? No, this was after we got married. Okay. Uh, we started writing together a few years after we got married. Wow. That, that's really, really interesting to me because I know that you've had a, a long marriage. You've successfully raised two kids to be fantastic young adults. And um, to do all that and be co-writers uh, for that many years just seems like a huge amount of um, success or luck or probably a huge amount of hard work. Do you want to talk a little bit about co-writing before we start talking about screenwriting in general? Well, you know, every, every pair of collaborators has a different method of working. So what we do isn't necessarily gonna work for everybody. I know people who, are, who collaborate across the country uh, and, and make it work. Uh, for us, we talk about story a lot. We go back and forth over story a lot. 
uh, and then we sort of split up and go off to write. Uh, these days, just because of the demands on my time with USC and other things, Lee usually does the first draft and I come behind him and then we just rewrite each other over and over and over and over and over until we are happy enough to sort of sit down in the same room and then argue our way through every word sometimes um, to, to figure out exactly what we want in the final process. The way I view collaboration and I've taught classes on collaboration, I created a class on collaboration at USC. And wow. the way I view it is that what you're trying to do when you work with a writing partner is you're trying to find what I call the third writer. You're trying to find the writer that isn't either one of you to produce a product that neither one of you could produce on your own, that will only come out of that collaboration. And, you know, the, it, it's, you know, you don't want to see how sausage and, and politics are made, how sausage and laws are made. You don't necessarily want to see inside the collaborative process of a working team. Because it can get loud. It can get loud, yes. But, <laughs> but, um, but the, the product should be something that neither one could have turned out on their own. I also compare it to the process to uh, distilling brandy because you have to sort of distill it. And then you take what you distilled and you distill it further. And eventually you wind up with this concentrate, you know, liqueur or like Corbusier, which is very concentrated from the larger whiskey or whatever it comes, comes from. Um, and when you get to the very uh, end of it, you've, you've, if it's done right, you uh, have discovered things when you started out that you never knew could be there because I, I view writing as a, a process of discovery. It's nice to map something out and you have sort of a rough thing, but you know, as an artist, you sort of decide, oh, if I was a painter, uh, I don't like that, sh that, that shade. I'm gonna change it, change it to something else because that's what, that's what I'm feeling emotionally and you go with that. You still follow the, the contours of what you set out to do, but what you wind up with if it's done right, it should be something like, Frank, I didn't know where that came from. I didn't, that's not, I, it's within the ballpark of what I started out to do, but it's, it's more than I, I hoped it would be, hopefully. Wow, this is brilliant. Honestly, I've never heard anybody talk about collaboration in this way. This, I'm already thinking about me and, you know, my husband, John, uh, he's been writing some uh, middle grade stuff and I've been helping him with edits. And we've talked a lot about writing together, but uh, I worry that, you know, we may not make it to the next wedding anniversary if we really try it. <laughs> but the way you guys talk about it, this whole idea of finding the third writer, that is something I can wrap my head around. Okay, well, good. I like it. Let us know how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> well, if I call and say I need to sleep on your couch for a few days, it didn't go well. <laughs> <laughs> Fly on over. It'll work. That's right. <laughs> now, um, we, we all met, or you guys are, of course, already knew each other. What I mean is um, the two of you and I, we met in 1999 when you were teaching for Act One Writing for Hollywood, and I was in the, uh, the very first class of it. 
uh, it was a screenwriting program actually in Hollywood taught by people who were currently working in Hollywood at the time. It was probably one of the best creative and educational experiences of my life. And I know that at least um, for me, and not that I did not love all of my teachers, but you two were definitely in the, in the top of my favorite, favorite people. Uh, I just loved the way that you taught. You were very passionate and everything that you said really I, I could go back to my room and do it and use it. You know, it was very practical information. So tell us a little bit about um, screenwriting from the perspective of people who've been doing it for a while. You've taught other people. Um, feel free to let us know, like, what do you see that you need to tell new screenwriters a lot? Um, wherever you kind of want to go in this area here. Janice was the screenwriting teaching expert now because this is what she does at the best film school in the world, really. So I guess okay. you. Okay. Um, you know, when I'm sitting down with new screenwriters, aspiring screenwriters, um, a couple of things that I tell them based on all the flaws that I see in the scripts that I read. Uh, first, you have to have a story that's worth telling. And most of the stories that you come up with aren't worth telling, or they don't demand two hours of screen time. Uh, you know, people who are trying to write TV, most people are trying to write TV these days because there's more work in TV. There are more hours of TV being made every year than there are hours of feature films. Uh, in TV, it's even harder. Writers will think, oh, I only have to fill an hour. I have to write a pilot fills an hour of screen time and it's compelling. And my response is, no, you have to write a hundred hours. You have to find a story that fills a hundred hours. Or characters. Yeah, and, and your one hour is just the opening to that. It's opening the door so that people can say, oh, I want to walk through this door into this world and stay here for a hundred hours. That is really hard to do. And most people are too easy on themselves when it comes to choosing their stories. We talked about the big spec script cell we had back in the 90s. Well, we came to that story uh, by bringing a group, of, a group of story ideas. A slate. A slate of story ideas to our writers group uh, and presenting them, and everybody agreed on one, which was the one we liked the best. And we said, okay, we'll go write this. But thankfully, Jack Gilbert, who you knew, who ran our writers group, came up to us after that meeting and said, I need you to come back in two weeks with five more stories that are all just as good as the one we liked today. And oh. the story we wrote was in the second batch, and it wasn't our favorite story. We were surprised, but the whole room said that one, that one, that one. So you need to put your story ideas out in front of other people and say, would you watch this movie? Would you read this movie? Would you have any interest in it? So picking your story ideas and really forcing yourself to not do something that is completely predictable. Right. I, that, you know, by and large, well, I, I take this from Scott Derrickson, the director of Doctor Strange, says that, you know, what Hollywood wants is 75% familiar and 25% unfamiliar, 25% new, fresh. 
And I see mostly new screenwriters who are trying to do things that are 98% familiar. And so we're bored. We're bored by the end of page one. Uh, the second, or they're, they're, they want to, you know, do something completely out of the box and break do something, yeah, break the rules and do something that's, that's 80% fresh and only 20% familiar. And people just look at it and go, what is this? You have to earn the right to be able to do something like that. Uh, you and, and that kind of disruptive form is very rare. You know, Hamilton on Broadway was the first disruption to the musical in probably 20 years or more. It doesn't happen often. So the people who are doing that, honestly, I just discount them. I just say they don't know what they're talking about and we'll never hear from them again. Uh, <laughs> that's the number one thing is choosing your story. Uh, the number two thing is writing something that is emotionally authentic. There are a whole lot of people who have bought a hundred um, uh, screenwriting books and they've studied with the gurus and they can write something that looks like a screenplay in format. Everything looks precise and perfect. And yet when you read it, it is hollow. It is hollow. And some of those scripts are getting bought. Some of really? Them, yes, they get, they get optioned, they get bought. They don't always get made. They look like screenplays. Because they look like screenplays. And people who don't know how to read a screenplay sometimes have the money to buy them. Uh, but they're emotionally hollow. There's nothing there for an actor. There's nothing there for an audience. There's nothing there that makes the world a better place. There's nothing there that evokes an emotional response from an audience. And so there's really no reason for them to exist. So I, I want to encourage writers to write something that is emotionally authentic. And then finally, I think a lot of people think that they're slumming when they write a screenplay. Uh, and I know that most of your podcast, um, most of your podcast listeners are novelists. There are a lot of novelists who think, oh, I'll just turn it into a screenplay. But they don't understand the fundamental differences between a novel and a screenplay. And so what they write really isn't a screenplay. And I, I mean, I've read screenplays written by Pulitzer Prize winning novelists that were in no way, shape or form actually screenplays. You couldn't make a movie out of that 120 pages of script. Uh, so I would say you have to respect the nature of what you're writing, especially if you are moving from narrative writing into dramatic writing. You have to realize that you're actually trying to, to conquer an extremely different form. It's still storytelling, but it's a very different kind of storytelling. There's even a, a difference between film and tele, television because television sort of is the descendant of radio, which is where you're listening to the story. So on television, someone's uh, got a, a show, Hawaii Five's always on, on, and of course that's a very action-y cinematic show, but, um, or Big, Big, Big Bang Theory, and they're talking and you're in the kitchen, you go wash the dishes and you come back out and catch up and you can still follow the story because it's, it's an auditory. With fit, where film is about images. And the first films were silent. So they had to tell a film with pictures, not sound. And then sound augmented that. So they sort of have different grandfathers. And that's true. And I think that some of those lines are blurring. 
uh, as home TVs become larger and larger. Game of Thrones uh, yeah. is TV, but it's film. Yes, right. So some of those lines are some of those lines are blurring, but certainly it is the case that I see people who are great, great dialogue writers. For instance, they are brilliant dialogue writers. They really can't construct a story, and not surprisingly, they tend to gravitate towards TV, where they're not creating a story from scratch. They're not creating characters from scratch, but boy, can they write astonishing dialogue. Wow. Wow, this is really interesting. Okay, so, um, so you're right. Some of our listeners have been wanting to write a screenplay for a while, or maybe they've already been writing. Some of them are thinking, I want to um, adapt one of my books. Um, and some people are thinking, okay, I'm not interested in writing screenplays. I just want to learn how to be a better writer. So somewhere in there, the gist of it is telling a great story, right? Absolutely. Okay, so what, what are your opinions? You know, like you said, there's a hundred, there's probably hundreds of books on writing screenplays and then, you know, hundreds more on writing novels. But when it comes down to it, there is a sense of story that I think is probably um, that we're, we're born recognizing this, this something that moves us. And sometimes it's hard for us to even describe why, you know, like... Black Panther, the movie, oh my gosh, I was just moved from the first 60 seconds when I immediately understood where and when I was and why everything was happening all the way through to the end. And I, I was, I just thought it was brilliant how every character was an individual person, the way that people are in my life, which is not at all the way people are in a lot of books that I read and, you know, sadly, um, books that I write. I'm still working on being that good of a writer. So um, tell us a little bit about how you guys find, um, find the way that you, uh, like you were talking about finding the right story. Uh, maybe do you want to talk a little bit about how you came up with, um, you know, five more ideas as good as that, that, that one that your writer's group first liked? You know, coming up with ideas is not all, there are a lot of people who are great idea generators. We are not great idea generators. We write, we draw a lot of stories from history, things that we think would make good movies. Well, uh, for me, I look for things. It's not not different that different from journalism, where you look for a story that's a grabber. Um, it's either Jean Cocteau or playwright John uh, Ennui, who um, uh, said his maxim for theater was um, "astonish me." That's that's what he wants from a piece of theater. He wants I like to that. come in and see something that just ast is astonishing. So that we look for, for stories that have, um, as Jen once, uh, I think she taught in, uh, in Act One, she said that things that have heart, smarts, and sparkle. They have intellectual interest, they have spectacle, and they have emotional gravity. And for, for the record, I want to say that I borrowed those from the late Professor uh, Brian Stonehill of the Claremont Colleges. Okay. But we steal from the best. <laughs> um, and so, and that's why we often look to history and find some uh, great stories because the things that make it into the history books were of moment. Right. Um, 
And I think a lot of writers think they're too tame. They think, oh, I, I have, uh, I had a grandfather who was uh, uh, a country preacher who roamed Wyoming and he had a kind of interesting life and that's what they decide to write their movie about. Whereas if you were a reporter or you're turning on the TV uh, uh, on the evening news, it's, the stories are, there was this in, incredible uh, three truck car, car wreck on, on the 405 and a massive spill of bananas and, and <laughs> yeah. five, five hours to clean up the, free, the freeway and they brought in helicopters and that's what they have film, film of. And that's, and the, the nice human interest story that's sweet and mild doesn't make it on the air. It's the jazzy stuff that makes it on the air. Well, on film, you're asking someone to pay money and come sit in a theater or if they're at home, just sit down and turn on the dial and spend an hour watching something that's really, really, really interesting. And so you have to really dial up um, what you're looking for in terms of uh, does this story compete? What's, what, of these three stories, what's the one that is more compelling and, and more bold and more daring? And, and tend not to go for tame. Because when you go for, for tame and real life small, you have to go in with the camera and emotionally so close into the subject to make the subject more giant. And you have to get every last detail of that intimate personal story so right and so true. And that's really, really hard. Whereas you write something that has a little more spectacle and size to it, you've got a little, it's a little more forgiving in terms of, of, of craft. You can get away as a newer writer with bolder strokes. If you're a painter, right. you have to do really fine, fine, fine work. You better be really, really skilled. So when you start, you have to work your way up to the tamer stories. Yeah. And then, the bolder stories. Right. And so also then Scott Derrickson's advice on 75% uh, what we've seen and what we're familiar with and 25% fresh would be even more important in the smaller, more intimate story. Is that, is that right? I, I think it's true across the board. I, yeah. I think he was also speaking of what people will put money into because here's one of the major differences between writing a novel and making a movie, a small movie costs half a million dollars to a million dollars. It doesn't cost that to, to write a novel. You can give your reader a wonderful experience for virtually no cost other than your own imagination and time. Right. And, uh, but movies are not cheap. They involve at the minimum dozens to a hundred people at the maximum thousands and thousands and thousands of people you have sat through the credits of infinity war <laughs> yeah yeah thousands of people um and millions even hundreds of millions of dollars so it, given that it's it, it becomes uh a, there's a different stress there's a different demand there are there are stockholders and investors who want to get their money back. Getting your money back on a novel is not an issue usually. 
Um, certainly, publishing companies, you'll know more about this than we do, publishing companies do have to make money and they have to have a slate of books that will help them make money. But the amount of money to be lost, not necessarily to be made, but to be lost, is not comparable to the movie business. So I think, you know, when Scott says the 75-25 split, a lot of that is about trying to market a movie to justify the amount of expenditures that that is going to involve. Well, I, I, right. I think Hollywood is like one of the world's biggest casinos. Uh, <laughs> right. Because everything is a gamble. And so uh, money people, they want to play conservative. They want the best chances of getting their money, their money back. So they don't want to take the flyer on the, on the, the wild bet that has, you know, you know, 99 to one odds of paying off. They're much more comfortable with a 50, 50 bet. Right. Right. That makes sense. Also um, I think uh, genre, we talked about the familiar. That's why um, genre pieces, um, but it's, it's a detective show. It's a cop mystery. It's, uh, it's a horror it's movie. A, it's a romantic comedy. There are certain genres, just like in like in music. It's it's hip hop. It's pop. It's, uh, it's rhythm rhythm and blues. Um, people want to be able to sort of fit fit their uh, preconceptions of what am I going to go see uh, if I'm a, a, at an amusement park. What kind of ride am I going to go on? And they want to make a choice on that. And they it has to be certain from a certain level of of comfort, knowing that I'm watching a, a detective thriller. We know what that is. And then it's a matter of making it a fresh detective thriller. It's not confusing. Okay, I can, I can absorb this world. I know where I'm going. And now I, I'm ready for a few surprises. Okay, so um, when you were talking about uh, one of the key things, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that you said one of the key things that a screenplay needs is emotional authenticity. Yes. Okay. And so that's also something that um, is taught in novel writing circles and particularly um, to bring out emotional feelings in the reader. Um, and I'm sure that it's the same in the audience, like everything that I was feeling and thinking when I was watching Avengers Infinity War, you know, it was probably written all over my face, but I was excited because it was making me feel excited, scared, nervous, happy, you know, whatever, um, shocked. And <laughs> so, um, most of that, some of it came from action and maybe I'm only speaking about the movies that I like the best, but, um, a lot of the emotional authenticity, at least in movies and books that I like, so I could be wrong, uh, seems to come from characters. And like I mentioned, when the thing that I loved most, not most, one of the big things though that I loved so much about the Black Panther movie was that all the char characters seemed authentic and completely different and separate from each other. It wasn't like a whole bunch of really similar people, even among like the people who were the, the warriors and the people who were, you know, the scientists, every single one of them felt different to me. So um, what are you looking at either as a teacher or as a screenwriter when you're looking at the characters and how to really bring out the best, you know, that will capture the person who's going to say, I'd, I'd like to make this film? I think there's a couple of things. Um, characters have to make decisions that those characters would make. And too often, 
because screenplays have to be driven by structure in a way that novels don't. Writers make what I call writer-driven decisions so that characters are doing things only because the writer needs them to say a certain thing so that someone will do something later or to be in a certain place that they would never go to, but the writer needs them to be there because of the demands of the plot and of the structure. Right. And that becomes problematic. In screenplays, also, we don't have the luxury of all those paragraphs of description. <laughs> we don't have the luxury of going inside the mind of a character to see what they're thinking. We can never see what a character is thinking. We can only see what they are saying, what they're doing, and what the actor can portray emotionally. That's all we have access to. Very so, limited backstory. Very limited backstory. So we don't, we don't get to stop and say, remind him of the time of his childhood. We don't get that. So in screenplays, exposition becomes a huge problem that doesn't exist in the same way in novel writing. We have very limited ways to let the reader or the viewer know the things they need to know to follow the story. And we have no ability to portray backstory in a way that doesn't move the story forward. If you put in a flashback just to show your character as a child, because you want to show your character as a child, but it doesn't move the story forward, that flashback is going to be cut. So right. I think those are the, the two main areas that uh, young screenwriters, new screenwriters stumble into. They have a lot of trouble dealing with how much exposition they need and developing the finesse to sort of sneak it into the story. And they have a lot of trouble wanting to force their characters to do things that those people as people would be likely to do. Also, right. um, I think there's uh, a lot of new writers think of, uh, of characters that are very passive, that they observe. Um, we, we were once uh, a few years ago asked by some producers over at Universal, I won't talk about the project at all, but they had the life rights to a guy who traveled all over the world and had seen some incredible things. And when we sat down with them for actually several months trying to explore how, uh, how to turn this guy's life into a movie, it really turned out that he didn't do anything. He, he, he observed these great events happening. He was just an observer. And right. a dramatic character is someone who does something. When they walk into the room, the room changes. When they go out into the world, the world changes because of them. And that's a more compelling character to write a movie about. Indiana Jones, you know, is a guy who does stuff. He just doesn't observe. Right, right. This is great, you guys. This is really helpful, I'm sure, to the people who are listening, both thinking about writing one who have already started trying to, you know, work their way through this. This is, I think that this is great advice and help. Thank you. Sure, we're happy to talk. <laughs> and now, um, Jan, tell me a little bit, the, do you teach the undergrad or graduate level classes at USC? I, I 
teach all levels from freshmen to MFAs. Oh, wow. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay. So if somebody wants to go to the best film school in the world. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, that's where they come. Yes. That's where they come. Certainly Excellent. the best writing program in the world. Screenwriting. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Yeah. I did not know that. I feel very privileged to be there. Excellent. Wow. All right. So USC, everybody, that's the place to go. <laughs> Now, are you guys doing any other um, outside teaching, um, like the way that you and I met? Not really. Um, okay. Once in a while, I'll teach a class on pitching as a favor to a friend of mine who does weekend seminars. But other than that, but we're, we're writing and, and uh, you know, and I'm, I'm heading down to USC a couple of times a week. So, yeah. Excellent. Well, you know, and you wouldn't be as good at teachers if you weren't actually screenwriting. So keep doing that. <laughs> and, that's, and that's the rule. All of our professors have to have a current active career. To, really? To be hired. They, we don't hire people just because they wrote a screenplay that got optioned. They, Excellent. They working writers. Right. Wow. Okay. Well, that explains why it's the best film school then. <laughs> nice. Well, listen, thank you so much for all of this. This is brilliant information. I'm sure it's going to help a lot of people to think about uh, what they're trying to do or rethink what they were thought they were going to try to do. So, and, uh, you know, even for somebody like me, who's, I'm not really writing screenplays anymore, but, um, you've given me a lot to think about, about, you know, story and character and, you know, emotional authenticity that I can use in, in writing novels. So I'm sure that other listeners like me are going to be able to put that to use too. So thanks for that. Oh, we're very happy to be here. Thank you for thinking of us. This is cool. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Good luck with, um, we hope to see uh, new films by you on the big screen, you know, in the future. <laughs> we hope so too. <laughs>